Hello, guys. We are so, so excited this week. You guys are not even going to believe this episode. We have been pinching ourselves with the amazing story that we heard in our conversation with Rhonda Bear. And you all, this is just a life-changing story, truly a life-changing story, one of the best examples of the redemption of the power of God. He is amazing, and you're going to hear about how he has done amazing work in the life of Rhonda and all the things that she's been through. She has a couple of ministries that she runs. One is called His House Outreach Ministries, and the other is She Brews, She Brews, how cute is that, Coffee in Claremore, Oklahoma. Shout out to both that, to that coffee shop, by the way. Check it out. Head over to Claremore, have a good cup of coffee and a fun sandwich while you're there. Both of these ministries help women coming out of incarceration. Oklahoma is the highest place in the na- in the world, actually, that incarcerates women. And so, did you all catch that? In the world, not just in our nation. Yeah, and Rhonda has an a very has reason why she gets very close to these women, and you're just not even gonna believe it. Um, also, this is episode ten. We're in double digits. Double digits, y'all. High five. Ooh, ooh. Um, We also got a suggestion from last week when we talked about a name for you guys. Right. Thank you to Kimberly Osmond, who commented on Facebook. She had a fun suggestion of Pod Not. She said, we think of a not joining people, so followers could be called your not, as in K-N-O-T, not, which is a really cute suggestion, and we're considering it. And Kimberly, thanks for listening, and we think you're awesome. And if you have suggestions, send them to us. (laughs) So buckle up and listen in for Afraid Not with Rhonda Bear. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. Thanks for coming tonight. Yeah. We're so thankful that you came to tell us your story and share with our listeners about what God's done in your life. I am so excited to be here. And this is kind of a new, different kind of podcast for Robin and I, because usually it's been somebody from church or somebody that we know or one of us knows, so we're just meeting you for the first time, so this is exciting. My sister-in-law gave your information to me and was like, this is somebody you need to be interviewing, so that's what we're doing. So listeners, you are in for a treat because we are so glad we have just recently been introduced to this amazing lady, and as she shares her story with us today, you're going to find yourself relating to all the things that God has done in her life and wants to do in your life, too. So how about we start today with just telling us who you are, give us a little peek into your days, your ins and outs, and what you're about. Okay. Well, my name is Rhonda Bear. I am a wife of a great man named Steve Bear. Between the two of us, we have three daughters, three sons, three son-in-laws, two daughter-in-laws, and a future daughter-in-law, and seven grandchildren. Wow. That's great. Oh, yes. my goodness. And uh, we live in Claremore, Oklahoma. We attend First United Methodist Church. And my husband and I are both Celebrate Recovering Ministry leaders. And we're both uh, Department of Corrections volunteers here in Oklahoma. Last year, we moved to Salina, Oklahoma. So okay. we, we lived in Claremore, Oklahoma for 12 years. And last year, we moved to Salina, Oklahoma. So now we live on the lake. And we call it our retirement home, though I think when you're serving God, 
I don't think you really get There's to no retire. <laughs> so agree. Yep. I think you only get to serve and uh, you serve you, him till you graduate to heaven. Yes, <laughs> and then maybe that's retirement. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he gave me uh, a beautiful home, and um, like I get to experience nature in such a beautiful way. The other morning, I woke up about six o'clock and probably about 7 45 I was looking out at the window of my room and there was well I heard this wild noise I thought what is that noise and I looked out and it was an eagle oh. landing on a branch oh, wow. outside my door wow but the eagle's wingspan is so big that when an eagle lands he makes a lot of noise oh I didn't know wow. that. I didn't know that either mm-hmm. or I'm not sure that happens every time, but it happened that morning, and um, it was a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. it makes me think of the Isaiah passage about those that wait on the Lord will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary and walk and not be faint. That's such a beautiful passage in Isaiah 40. Yes, and there's something about that, the wings of eagles. There's some power in those wings, yeah. mm-hmm. which yeah, gives a little majestic. more in-depth mm-hmm. to that scripture. Yeah, That's pretty awesome. It will mount up with power, basically. Yeah. Oh, my That's goodness. Cool. So what are the ages of your grandchildren from oldest to youngest? I have a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old. I have twins that are 3 years old. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And we have a little boy that is 2 years old. And a little girl that's 18 months old. And then we have a nine-month-old. Oh, you've got a Whoa. lot of little bitties. Yes, yes. We have a big span there. What a blessing. Yes. Do they love to come visit the lake house and stay with you? Mm-hmm. They love their grandmother. That's Which great. is a huge gift because I wasn't a very good mom. Okay, well, let's, let's get into that. Yeah. So tell us a, bit, a little bit about your ministry and how you got into what you do. Okay, so I have struggled with drug addiction almost my entire life, from the time I was 12 years old till I was 37. So at age 12, you were introduced? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And um, I was introduced, my first drug was uh, marijuana and then Valium, and I became a Valium addict. At a very young age, probably about 13, I would say I was really in a full-blown addiction to biome. Were you able to hide it from Mm -hmm. family? Yes. And uh, was able to keep it a secret. And back in the day, um, it seemed like biome was in every medicine cabinet. Mm -hmm. So I would spend the night with my friends and I would take their mom's biomes or their dad's biomes and... Even though I took them just about every day, I didn't, uh, you couldn't tell. I could tell, but the world couldn't tell mm-hmm. until my addiction escalated and it would take more and more volume every day. Mm-hmm. Then I went from a straight A student to straight Fs. Oh, wow. And my life began to plummet. Was that about eighth grade? Ninth, actually. Um, I didn't complete the ninth grade. Um, so did anybody at school take note, like any teachers or counselors, when your grades suddenly dropped? Did anybody go, what's going on with you right now? No? My mom did. Mm. 
my mom uh, found a note when she was doing the laundry and said, uh, you know, where's your report card? Because I'd hid it from her. And the note had said, my mom is going to freak out when she sees my report card. So she found the note, and I lied my way out of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mom, it's just changing schools. It's no big deal. And she was in a horrible marriage. Um, my dad had left us, and we went from being a middle-class family to poverty, struggling to eat, mm -hmm. struggling to live. My mom trying to take care of three children by herself. Was that in Oklahoma? Did you grow up in Oklahoma? It was actually, I grew up in Louisiana. Okay. And I um, loved my dad. I loved everything about my life. I loved the food. I loved the culture. I loved the weekends on the bayou. I loved everything about my life. I was a major rat from the time I was in kindergarten from fifth grade to third grade. I was a major rat. I Tell our listeners what a major rat is in case someone doesn't really know what that means. Um, I twirled a baton and I marched in a lot of parades. I was the mascot for our high school team twirling on the field with the football team, you know, oh, at funny. halftime. Yeah. Stuff. I was really, it was a passion of mine and mm -hmm. I was good at it. Mm -hmm. But then one day, everything crumbled. Dad came home to tell us that he didn't want us anymore. Oh. He was in love with our babysitter, and he was leaving. Oh. And it crushed my mom. And, and it nobody saw it coming. Not, I was nine years old, right, so I didn't right. know if they saw it coming, but it, it blindsided us so much that I don't think we saw it coming. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a horrible evening. And um, my mom loaded us up the next morning and moved us to Texas. So now we changed friends. We changed school. Our dad is gone. And we've changed socioeconomic status. Oh, what a hard time that must have been. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And then um, within six months, we have this man that has showed up in our life that says, I'm marrying your mother. Now I'm the boss, and you're going to do as I say. Oh, and that doesn't always go over well. Mm -mm. Yeah. I thought, mm -hmm. I don't like you. You're not mm -hmm. my dad, and I'm not going to do anything you say. And so he moved us to Dallas. He did have money. So he moved us to a nice home, nice community, nice school district. He did rescue us, in a sense. Mm -hmm. But the problem was he was a violent alcoholic. Oh, no. So every day he was <clears throat> horribly drunk. And there were times that we had to run for our life because he became so violent. Would he strike out at you? He wouldn't strike out at us, but he would, like, throw furniture out the windows and break glass. And uh, one time he got an axe and he chopped our TV up and he chopped oh. everything up our couch, everything. So we ran, mm -hmm. um, not sure what have, would have ever happened if we ever stayed around. Mm -hmm. He was just become very destructive, and so we would run. So we endured that for a while. Were you the oldest mm -hmm. of your siblings? Mm -hmm. So you yeah. kind of would take them with you and protect them? Yes. Yes, I was very protective. One time he thought he was going to whip my sister, my little sister, my baby sister, and I just jumped on his back and started beating him in the head. I'm like, you are not going to touch her. I was very protective. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, 
I think I scared him a little bit. Good he for you. Really, he didn't really like me that much, but he was not going to hit my sister. It's an inner strength you didn't even know. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what's really funny through this? All of this chaos. So we're in Dallas, and there's always vacation Bible school at so many churches. Mm-hmm. And I am the leader in the community of taking people to vacation Bible school. I always won the prizes for bringing the most, the most people. people. <laughs> wow. Because I was really, I was like an evangelist. Oh, you got to come to this church. You got to meet these people. You got to do these activities. And I could get people to come with me to church. And I feel like I was almost probably to about to encounter Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But drugs came before I really encountered him. Because I'm convinced God, he's always loved me. He oh, always yes. has loved everybody. Yes. But we don't know it. Um, my very first song that I ever learned was How Great Thou Art. And I learned that in kindergarten. That's a pretty powerful song mm-hmm. to learn at five years old. Right. Mm-hmm. And I learned in uh, kindergarten... Psalms 23, 7, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in your house, Lord, forever. But I didn't know what that meant. What it meant. But you kind of hung on to it anyway. I did, and I have to tell you, surely his goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. Mm. He, wherever I have been, he's been right on my heels. And... Uh, so I get into the drug addiction in Dallas, and then my mom and my stepdad divorce. My mom moves us to East Texas to an apartment complex. She thinks my drug addiction is going to end there, but it only escalated because it only took me a day to find out where the drugs were. Mm-hmm. That was my, uh, my first love was drugs, and nothing was going to separate me from that. Well, and you'd been through so much trauma, so you're trying to self-medicate and cope with all, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a lot for a kid to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my younger sister, she ended up getting cancer and dying. Oh. And I think it's because she hadn't processed the trauma. Mm-hmm. I, I had an outward behavior of trauma, but she kept it in. And she eventually died with cancer. And I think there's something to that. Yeah, there's a book called Mm -hmm. um, The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about how if we don't deal with our trauma, it's going to manifest physically. Mm -hmm. For sure. How old was your sister when she passed away? She was 39. So she made it a while. But I remember her arms had so many scars because she had sores that she was always nervous and picking at her Mm -hmm. arms. She, She just held everything in. And it took our life mm-hmm. through cancer, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, but anyway, we, my addiction escalates so bad. And Did by, you move from Valium to something else? Mm-hmm, to, uh, well, sedatives, barbiturates were my favorite, quaaludes, and to, you know, every barbiturate that you can think of was my favorite. I wanted to numb out, and uh, but it led me down extremely dark, dark, dark paths, as dark as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I've been there. 
the only thing I've not ever done is sell people. I've never trafficked a human. But I've done everything else. But mm-hmm. you, when you think of what is the scariest drug addict look like that you've ever met, that would be me. I had no limit, no boundary. I had one thing I wanted, and that was those pills. Mm-hmm. And I would do whatever it took to get them. So it was mostly pills that you did? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it started out with. Mm-hmm. And then did you I, recognize um, that it was controlling you, or did you feel a sense of control? I've got this. You know what? I didn't, at that point in life, I'd never really heard about the word addiction. So I don't think I felt like I was in control, but I don't think I felt like it was in control of me either. Hmm. I'm just going to do this, and I'm not going to feel, and that's really all I felt. Right. I was comfortably numb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was my favorite feeling. And that was my favorite song by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Comfortably numb. Comfortably mm-hmm. numb. Comfortably numb. Mm-hmm. That was my life goal. And, um, but at 15, at one point, I did reach a bottom where I was just sick and tired. I'd already prostituted myself so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I had nothing and was so empty. So um, I had already been removed from my mom's home because tough love. Mm-hmm. You do not get to live here and be on drugs, which mm-hmm. was right. She mm-hmm. was so right. But I didn't want to let go of the drugs, so I chose the streets. And um, it was ending very painfully. And I decided that I was going to go to my mom's house and I was going to get even with her and my dad by taking my own life mm. that night at my mom's house. At so age have you 15. seen your dad at all since he left? Um, just a few times. Not very much. And one time my mom did send me to live with him, but mm. his girlfriend... I was too bad of an influence on her daughter. They sent me back real fast. I was bad. Mm-hmm. And so I took this uh, <clears throat> bottle of pills and I laid down uh, to die. And But then I started feeling scared. Like, you're really fixing to die. You took at least 40 pills. Wow. You're probably oh, not wow. going to live. And so I went and told my mom, I said, "Um, I'm sorry to wake you up, but you need to wake up because this is what I've done. Of course, she was very upset about me. She was angry. She was sad. She was scared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They took me to the hospital. They pumped my stomach, and they put me in a psych ward. And um, while I was there, um, this youth pastor came to visit me. And just a random youth pastor that you didn't know. Yeah, I'd never met him. And he was extremely, I didn't even know what he wanted. This really extremely good looking guy comes knocking on my hospital room door. And he says, can I come in? And my response was, anything that looks as good as you. (laughs) Sure, go Yes. (laughs) Did you think those words or say those words? No, I said this. (laughs) You said those words. Uh I love it. And he said to me, I have come to tell you about Jesus Christ. He was real outspoken to, to tell me that I'm here for one reason. That's right. That's I have right. come to tell you about Jesus Christ. And I said, really? And he said, really? 
He said, you're not dead because Jesus Christ wants you to live. Wow. And he wants you to serve him. And I prayed to accept Jesus as my Savior. Wow. You did. And I really got saved. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I got immediately delivered from the drugs. Wow. And um, he said, I want you to come join our youth group. Did you find out how he, did he just, was he just at the hospital uh, or did he find it, out who you were? When my mom was at work, she mentioned what happened to a coworker and a coworker had called him. And God so just sent him, him to yes. you. Yes. Oh, and, I love it. Yes. I really got saved mm-hmm. and I joined the youth group and I, this is so funny, but it's the truth. So I show up to youth group. My friends were strippers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they would give me their clothes. So I show up to the youth group dressed thinking, in your stripper clothes. Yes, <laughs> yes, thinking I look nice. Oh. <laughs> uh huh. And his first comment was, "Where'd you get them boots?" Because <laughs> you know I'm in like these four inch heels that are laced up. Mm-hmm. Oh, short dress. You know, I think I look nice. But he didn't say anything about the clothes. He just said, where'd you get those boots? <laughs> and I said, my friend gave them to me. And um, never made me feel condemned or embarrassed or ashamed. This man showed me what the love of Christ was. And I'd already been uh, molested by my uh, dad's brother's. My mom's divorced. They're mm-hmm. going to reach out and help us, but they're not really trying to help us. They're mm-hmm. trying to sexually abuse us. Mm-hmm. Oh. So here's this person that doesn't want anything mm-hmm. but Jesus. And uh, he was such an instrument in my life to God. He would tell me to memorize scripture, mm-hmm. and I would do it just because I wanted him to be proud. Yeah, mm-hmm. And he was proud. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, so... I know so much of the Bible because this man invested in me learning the Bible. Wow. And he wanted me to get it. Did you move back in with your mom mm -hmm. after accepting Jesus? I did. My mom let me move home, and I led my little sister to the Lord, and I was just trying to lead everybody to the Lord. And um, I didn't go back to school, but I started working and things like that and was really trying to get my life on track. And everything's going great. And then one day I come home, and here it goes again. The world is flipped upside down. And my mom, who I love so much, she made a bad choice that day. Um, She had a new boyfriend, and they decided that they were leaving. And they were going to leave my little sister with a neighbor. My middle sister with her boyfriend and me with whoever because I know how to survive on the streets. I'd be okay. I was around 16, and the truth of the matter is I could have been okay. But I just didn't handle it very well because I wasn't prepared for it. Well, it's another abandonment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was. It hurt really bad. The rug pulled out from under your feet. Yes. Oh, And so um, my youth pastor said, well, we're going to let you stay with a different family every week. Every Sunday, we'll have a new home for you to go to and until we figure out what to do with you. Because they really cared. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know. I did it for a couple of weeks, and then I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. 
so I'm just going to go back to the streets. And my little sister was calling me because she hated being where she was and she wanted me to come get her. And I did. I went and picked her up. I had a car, but I didn't have a driver's license. And I went and picked her up and I thought about just, I said to her, I should just kill us both because I don't know what to do with us. So, um, those are real conversations that you had. Mm -hmm. That's how dark it was. It was dark. And I just started doing donuts in this field thinking I could just flip my car and we would just both die together because I didn't Mm -hmm. know what to do with her. But it was obvious. I had it like a 1964 four-door Chevrolet Impala. You couldn't flip that thing if you wanted to. (laughs) That's when they made the cars. Yeah, They were so heavy. (laughs) Yes, it wasn't going anywhere. So after tearing up a field, I'm like, I'm going to take you to... We have an aunt close by. I'm going to take you to them, and I'm going to I'm going to get on my feet, and I'm coming back to get you. So I took her and dropped her off, and um, you know my sister, my other sister, her boyfriend said, "Y'all can come live with me." He was the nicest young man. He was only like 17 years old himself, and um, he was Mexican and a very hard worker. So he worked. He was a sacker at Safeway, but he was working his way up, and he loved my sister. In fact, um, she remained a virgin until he got married because he loved and respected her so wow. much. Wow, that's that wonderful. It yeah. is a big deal, yeah. especially know? more as when you think about all the boundaries that could have so easily been excused away. It's, mm-hmm. a, really, it's a really neat thing mm-hmm. about their relationship. Because she lived with him every day, and that's he took amazing. care of her. He fed her. She went to school. She dressed cute. Um, he worked hard and had a nice car. He took really good care of her. And they got married her going into her senior year, and then she graduated pregnant. But they were married before yeah. they did anything. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, you know, it was just the life that we had. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was on drugs again real bad, but I made it to her wedding. So in the meantime of all of this stuff, of hitting the streets again, um, my life took me even down a darker path. And so I was uh, hanging with a, a motorcycle gang out of Houston, Texas. Um, and my friend that was with me, she said, hey, let's go to this party in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I'm like, I love Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's my home. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And so we get to this, uh, to this party and I meet this man. And he, he says to me, um, y'all have to go shopping because you are not coming to the party dressed like you are because there was a lot of important people at this party. And you have to be dressed nice. So we went, and um, he had kind of like this bodyguard that took us shopping to get us some really nice clothes. And we had a really great meal, and there was plenty of value again mm. and a lot of cocaine. So, it's really like my paradise. And so, we're at this party, and then I learned that we're supposed to prostitute this party. That's why he had you there. mm -hmm. And so, okay, well, wouldn't be the first time, so it'll be okay. But as the night went on, then he said to me, I'm not going to have you prostitute this party. I'm going to have you just team me up myself. And so I'm going to have you stay with me, and um, I'm going to take care of you. Don't run away, and you'll be okay. So I'm like, okay. 
somebody's going to take care of you. This sounds wonderful. So um, what was really scary is the next morning, my friend that I was with, she was gone. And I said, where's my friend? And he said, I put her on a bus and she's headed back to Texas. But you're not to try to find her and you're not to try to look for her. Wow. I was like, okay. And to this day, I don't know what happened to her. You haven't ever talked to her since? Mm -mm. Do you think that he told you the truth about what he did? I don't know. I don't, can't even find her because I remember her name is Debbie, but I cannot remember what her last name was. Mm. So I can't even try to find her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what happened to Debbie. Hmm. But I know that life goes on with him, and then one day um, he had taken me to this place with him, and it was in Louisiana along the shore, and we were at this house. And there was so much cocaine, and there was so much money, and there were so many guns, I was afraid to move. And so we left there that night, and I said to him, are you related to the mafia? And he said, I am the mafia. Oh. So tears just started rolling down my face because I was like, I'm scared. What have I gotten myself into? And because I'm still like 16 years old. Oh, wow. And he said, don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt you. But don't ever try to run away from me. So I said, okay. Did you feel like his prisoner? No, because I felt like he was taking good care of me. I had food. I had a nice, and then he ended up getting me a nice apartment on LSU campus. And... I had nice clothes. He got me a little sports car. And he said to me, he said, you're going to live here on the campus and you're going to recruit girls who want to work for the organization. That's going to be your job. So I'm like, okay. He said, all you have to do is live and have a good time and people are going to want to have a good time with you. So it's like, okay, well, I can do this. But I would call my youth pastor every day. You did? Really? Yes. I would not let go of him. And he was so worried about me. But mm-hmm. I said, don't be worried. Just, I want to check in with you. And he would say, still, I want you to go, re- I want you to uh, memorize the scripture. Did he know what kind of a situation you were in? Sort of. He knew a little bit. He didn't know all of it, but he knew a lot of it. And But he wanted me to memorize scripture still every week. And so... Um, so in his prayers and in all of this, I'm there for a while, like, I don't know, a year or so. Well, this is really funny, but there's this lady that lives uh, close to what they call Tigerland, and she wants to be my friend. Okay, I am doing more drugs than you can imagine. And my little sister is now living in Louisiana with my dad. And I'm going to get her on the weekends and things like that. I'm not supposed to leave Tiger Lane because I still don't have a driver's license. But I do because mm-hmm. I would go get her and bring her with me. And she would always say, please don't make me leave. I just want to live with you. And I'm like, you can't live with me right now. But one day you're going to live with me. And uh, But in the meantime, this lady wants to be my friend. And so she wants to bring me cookies and be nice. She's always walking her child in a stroller. And she'll stop and say, hi, I brought you some cookies today. And all of this. And 
I was just like, why does this lady want to be my friend? And she'd say, hey, I cooked dinner. Why don't you come over to my house tonight and have some dinner? And she was Christian. Mm-hmm. Her husband was the cameraman for Jimmy Swagger Ministries. Really? Oh. Yes, yes. Oh, my so goodness. So I'm over there, and I'm having dinner, like lasagna and things like that. She always wanted and me to And she was remember. being a sweet hostess to you, wasn't she? She was. Wow. But I didn't really know that she had a motive, right? Right. I thought she was just being nice. Yeah. So she has me listen to Jimmy Swagger CDs, these, uh, his church music. I loved it. So this is so funny. I go home one day and I take all these CDs with me. Well, at the time, they were cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. Yeah. Yes. Cassette tapes with me. Yes. And I tell my friend. For young listeners, those, those, were, those came before CDs. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listening Probably devices. Probably before 8-track tapes, too. I can't remember. <laughs> but anyway, so I have these cassette tapes. And I tell my friend, I want you to listen to these cassette tapes. This music is great. And my friend is like, because this is my boss, right? Where'd you get these? Uh, from the neighbors. He said, you don't listen to this kind of music. We are Catholic. We report to the priest. Prostitution is the oldest uh, profession in the Bible. And you stay away from these people and no more listening to this music. So the um, next day I see her and I tell her, you, we can't be friends because um, we can't be friends. You have to just trust me on this. We can't be friends. But she doesn't want to trust me on this. She keeps coming around. I say, I can't go to your house, but she'd still bring me cookies. And so one night, I'm in this bar. And I come out of this bar, and there's a man standing there. And I had met him before. But he he said he was a prophet. I come out of this bar, and he's standing at this bar. And he says, you're who I'm looking for. And I said, you are, I am? And he said, yes, God has sent me to tell you this. That if you don't get out of what you're in, you're going to die. Okay, I was wasted, but I know for a fact I encountered this guy that night that I had met one time in Long Beach, Texas. Just randomly met this guy and he had said, you know, he lived in like a little convent off the land. I mean, they had a different kind of lifestyle, but I'd met him once. And now Mm. here he is. And he says to me, God has sent me to you. Did you feel in your heart, this is a word from God? Yes, I still do. You listened to, yes, yes. And I told my friend the next day, what her name is Dana. I told Dana what happened. And she said, you're leaving. And you're leaving today. I was like, I can't leave. I I brought friends into this. I can't leave this. And she said, oh, no, you're leaving today. So they, um, I was 18, and she got on the phone and with somebody, and they found a program in Pascagoula, Mississippi called Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge. Uh, David Wilkerson's program. That is one of my all-time favorite books, Crossing the Switchblade. Yes, yes. Yes. So they uh, loaded me up without telling a soul. I have, like, vanished off the earth for, like, six months and hid in this program called Team Challenge. And I got my life back with God. I was really serving the Lord again. Here he was. Surely that mercy and goodness was following mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. He was chasing me, and he caught me. So I'm serving God. My life is good. Um, 
I didn't tell anybody for a long time where I was because I was afraid of being, you know, I was afraid. The yeah. mafia. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was afraid of what would happen. Would you really kill of me? Course. So, um, I'm there and eventually I graduate. I stay there for like 12 months. And finally in six months, I let my family know I'm alive and this is where I'm at. And, you know, my dad came to see me and stuff like that. My mom at that point was in Oklahoma, so I didn't see her, but, and so I graduate Teen Challenge and they wanted me to stay on as a peer counselor because I'd really got it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I thought, no, I'm going to go to Oklahoma and find my mom. I'm, uh, that's where I'm going. And so I got on a bus and came to Oklahoma to find my mother and be reunited with my mom. And we eventually came to Louisiana and got my little sister. And so now we're all up here in Oklahoma living and things seem to be great. I think that I'm going to be a preacher's wife and he's cleaned me up and life is going to be good. And so I meet this guy who is a preacher's son and I think, well, you know, that's pretty close to a preacher. <laughs> yes. And, uh, um, and so he falls in love with me. I tell him about my life, how it's been. I tell his family about my life, how it's been. And they said, you're not going to marry her. Okay. She is not, no, not going to marry her. And, um, he wanted to marry me. I end up uh, pregnant before we're married. And um, I knew that he was smoking weed and drinking a little. And I told him about how my drug addiction was. And he just told me, he said, listen, you can do a little drugs with me. I promise you, we will not let your drug addiction get out of control. Famous last words, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, because there's no controlling my drug addiction. Mm -hmm. You can't tell by looking at me that I'm a horrible drug addict. But all it takes is one little grain, and I'm off into a deep, 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 deep ditch. So um, this poor guy was married to me for 14 years. Well, we married for seven years. We divorced. We got back together, remarried, and seven more years. So I put him and his family through horrible, horrible, horrible time and really broke the heart of three precious children. And so um, it ends with, here we are about to hit another rock bottom. Um, It was 2000. It was Thanksgiving Eve. I had not seen my children in months. Um, Whenever I did see my children, my children were terrified because they had no idea how I was going to behave. If they were with people and then the people said, you can't be here, I would fight them. I had multiple mm-hmm. protective orders against me. If the school said, you can't be here, I had no respect for authority. I'm going to see my children and I'm going to get away before the cops get here. And that's how I was living my life. So was there a restraining order against with your kids? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. the, okay. There was a restraining order because they were afraid. <laughs> that I was going to take my kids and run. And they were right. I was going to. I was going to take my children and run. I don't know where I was going to run to, but I was going to take my children because I didn't want to be the mom or the parent that abandoned her kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's who I had become. Were they living with their dad mm-hmm. throughout these years that yes. you were? Mm-hmm. And would there be times that you would be thinking to yourself, I'm going to get all these things straight. I'm going to get everything back to normal. I'm going to get 
All these the things cleaned up. All the time. And it just would feel like if things crumbled again. Mm-hmm. It, it would. And I was stuck. Mm. I was stuck. And sometimes me and their dad would get along. I could, I could pay him drugs to see my children. And that would work for a little while. Was he a drug addict as well? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, but I had access to more drugs than he did. So mm-hmm. I could pay him drugs to see my kids. But then I would leave and go back to my boyfriend who was, uh, we were manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And then I would create great division. I would break my children's heart again because here mom is here for a week and now she's gone. And we don't know when we're going to see her again. And then I'll come back in a couple of months and I'll be here a week or so. And then I'm gone. It was a constant yo-yo for mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I would show up, and now he's got a girlfriend here. And girlfriend says, you're not welcomed here. And then I would want to fight her because who do you think you are? And so I kept my children stirred up. Horrible. And But that's what you knew. That You're repeating history because that's what you, you grew up with that too. Mm-hmm. People in and out. Yes. And so, but I didn't want to be that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you yearned for something different, but you didn't know how. I couldn't stop again. Mm-hmm. I was on this slippery slope going all the way down, and I couldn't stop. And uh, When you say manufacturing, were you manufacturing pills? Or I was were... manufacturing meth at this point. Oh, my. Okay. Mm-hmm. And manufacturing to a point that I thought that I'm going to uh, make enough drugs, I'm going to sell them, and then I'm going to bribe the DA, because that's what I learned in the mafia. You, you bribe. You want something done, you create an environment, and you bribe. So you're going to bribe the judge, you're going to bribe the DA, you're going to get your kids, and you're going to run. And that's what, in my sick mind, I kept thinking. I'm just going to get enough drugs to get us on our feet, and then I'm going to quit. But that day didn't come. You know, when it finally, Thanksgiving Eve 2000, haven't seen my kids, I've got six counties chasing me. Because I've been arrested so many times and I've jumped on so many times that there's like a huge bounty on my head and they are like on my heels. I'm barely one step ahead of them. And I was in a casino in Salem Springs, Oklahoma. There's a big casino over there. And I walked in and um, was looking around and I saw an officer look at a security guard. He looked at me twice and I thought, oh, great, this is it. So I just took off out the door, and I ran, and there was really nowhere to run. There was a huge uh, brush pile in the middle of this field. So I dove into this brush pile, and I crawled to the very bottom of this thing. No telling how many rats and snakes and everything else are in this pile, but I just dive into this. Did you just, were you oblivious to being scratched up by the pieces yes. of wood? I'm sure you were ripping up your My shirt. And right. yes, yes, I'm sure. Oblivious to it. And there was, it was over a creek. So I crawled down into this creek so I can get in the water because I'm thinking it's going to make my scent, mess up my scent. So I'm in there. I hear the cops. And it had to have been cold. Well, Thanksgiving Eve, November. But it was warm that night for a moment. It was mm. warm and like 70 degrees. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Unseasonable yes. Thanksgiving. And then, uh, so I hear the dogs. I hear the cops. I hear the helicopter. And I'm like, oh, God, this is bad. And then it begins to start raining really, really hard. I mean, it is just like pouring down rain so hard. And mm. I'm like. Thank you. 
Thank you, God. If you're listening, I'm not even going to ask you to get me out of this. I'm going to ask you to give me courage to get my own self out of this. What do I do now? And the hard rain began to turn to freezing rain. And it became so cold. And I was just laying in this pile and I'm, I'm just breathing into my shirt because I'm trying to use my breath to keep me from freezing. Uh. And I lay there and lay there till I know that there's not a sound left. And I crawl out and there is ice everywhere. <gasps> and I'd probably been in this pile now for about four hours. Oh my goodness. Whoa, and the temperature dropped. Yes. Wow. And I crawl out and I try to stand up, but my legs will not stand because I've been exposed to the cold so long, they're weak. I don't know this. All I know is I cannot stand up. So I start crawling across this field, and I see a man in a long black trench coat standing behind a bar. And I crawl up to him, and I say, I've been hiding in the ditch from a boyfriend. I've got some money. Can you please get me a hotel room? And he says, yes. I said, you're going to have to hide me under your coat because if he sees you, if he sees me, he's going to come after us. So he picks me up and he wraps me in his coat and he walks over to a motel and he goes in and he gets me a room. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, he, and we get in the room and he says, um, we're going to have to get you in a hot tub of water because we got to get your body temperature up because you're going into shock. So he completely undresses me, and he runs this hot water, and he gets me in this tub of hot water to get my body temperature up. He dries my clothes for me, and then he leaves me. And um, I couldn't have done anything. I was so weak. I couldn't even I couldn't even lift myself or nothing. All I could do was be taken care of. He leaves me. I call my friend and say, they didn't get me. I'm in this motel. Come get me. And at that point, severe paranoia sets in. And I'm on the drugs. I realize it's a dead end. I don't know what direction to run. I'm scared to run. I'm scared not to run. I'm, I'm completely a mess. In fact, we were at people's house and... This is how bad I was. I took a black, hefty trash bag, and I set it by a door, and I filled it with laundry, and then I crawled in on top of the laundry and put more laundry on top of me so that, and then pulled the drawstring. And I stayed in this bag for hours because I thought if the cops come in, they're going to think I'm a bag of laundry, and they're not going to wow. do anything. And I just sat by this door, the spirit of fear just gripped you, uh, didn't gripped it? Gripped me, yes. Oh. Um, I was in this one room, and the alarm started going off. Beep, beep, beep. I couldn't even, the fear had me gripped so bad, I couldn't even get up and turn the alarm off. For eight hours, I listened to beep, beep, oh. beep, beep. Fear had me so gripped. Oh. And so I told my friend, who I thought I was in love with, and I said to him, I'm at a point that I'm, I'm at a very dangerous point because I'm about to kill you and I'm about to kill me because I don't want you running by yourself because I'm afraid what's going to happen to you. 
But if you don't let me go, I'm going to kill us. And I mean it. I have to get to a detox. I've got to get my mind clear before something bad happens. And he believed me. So he took me to Tulsa and he dropped me off at a detox center. And I got in there and I called the district attorney from Sequoia County and said, I'm going to turn myself in. I want to see my children. I'm in detox. I've got to get my head together. But I want to see my children. I'm going to ask you not to arrest me in front of them. I have all these warrants in all these counties. I'd like you to pull everything together. I'm not going to fight you. I realize I'm going to prison. But please let me say goodbye to my kids. Wow. And um, I'm sure so- the district attorney does not get phone calls like this most days. This is the exact opposite of what they're used to, right? <laughs> yes. Hello, I am in I trouble am and I want you to arrest me. And here's all of what you need. <laughs> yes, I need you to do all of these, get all these counties. I'm not going to fight you and I don't want to stay in the county jail very long. I want you to go ahead and get me out of there and onto prison because I'm going to, I need to get to prison so I can get my life back together. Well, now I know that was God. He gave me courage to take that step, to go to detox, he answered that no matter prayer. what it looked like. Courage to call the district attorney, and then December the 7th, I got out of detox, and I went and see my children. I met them at the school bus when they got off. I spent the evening with them. Their child, my children's dad said I could stay the night. I so the he night knew what was happening to mm-hmm. you. Talked mm-hmm. to him about it. Mm-hmm. I told him, I'm going to prison, mm-hmm. and um, I told my children, I'm so sorry because you deserve more that tomorrow when you get off the school bus, I will be on my way to prison. And I'm not sure how long I'm going to be gone. And I'm not sure how long till I get back. But I promise this, I'm coming back different and I'm coming back to get you. How old were your children at this point? Ten, eight, and six. And my little girl looked at me and she said, I can't even cry, Mom, because I've cried so many times. Please don't leave me. Please, Mom. But I never knew when you were coming back. I didn't know if when I saw you would be the last time I would see you because I didn't know if you were going to live or die. And now... She's six. She's eight. She's eight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I knew I had to do something different for their sake. So I, got, I put them on the bus and said goodbye. I will see you when I get back. Mm-hmm. So I went and turned myself in like I said I would, and I got a 10-year sentence. But my um, judge said, I'm going to give you a chance. If you'll go into prison and do a drug program, I'll let you out. But you have either whatever time it takes you to do a drug program or 10 years, you're not walking out. Do you do either a 12-month drug program or you do, um, or you stay there 10 years? It's up to you. The ball is in your court. That is the best gift mm-hmm. that anyone can give me. And I really wish that we would do that more in our state today. Right. Mm-hmm. That we would give people the opportunity, the to ball is in your court, go in and do a drug program, and we'll suspend your time to paper. Meaning, I'm going to get 10 years on probation, where if I mess up in that 10 years, I'm in serious trouble. Mm-hmm. But that's what the judge did for me. I didn't deserve it, but that's what he gave me. And I went in, and it took me 19 months to get in there and get out. But I held on to God every step of the way. And I knew him. I had walked away from him, and I'd made meth my new God. And here I was again. I'm not doing that again. It's too painful. 
positive much. But I met a lady who did prison ministry named Eileen Guidry, and she became my mentor. And um, she was extremely helpful in getting me where I am today. She um, led me to the ministry called Stand in the Gap Ministry, and Stand in the Gap Ministry is where you get a team of mentors that will commit to walk with you from prison for a minimum of 12 months. And so they ended up walking with me for two years. They helped me get my children back. They taught me how to parent without drugs. They taught me how to parent through hard times. Um, They taught me how to dream, like go to college. I set a goal, so I enrolled in college, and I ended up graduating with a social work degree. Wow. (laughs) Did you got your GED at this point? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, they helped me do so much stuff with my life and get my life back on track. They were uh, very strict. They had a word called accountability that I'd never mm-hmm. heard of. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was kind of like a bucking bronco. I bucked against so much. And I was really so angry sometimes because I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I could barely breathe without them noticing how many breaths a minute I took. I felt like it was just extremely strict. And so I graduated the program, got my children back. And one day, and then I just said to them, I don't want to be your friend anymore. I didn't like that experience and I'm done. So I went on my way and probably, and I'm sure I hurt their hearts because they had invested their time and energy and money. They invested everything in me. You know, they helped me with my children. They did everything. And then here I was to say, okay, done with you. But one day I was driving down the road and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, that was real love. You've never encountered love like that. And you didn't recognize it. But it took courage to hold you accountable. It took courage to risk a friendship to be completely honest with you. That's real love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I called her and said, I am so sorry I did that. I didn't realize that that's what love looked like. Hmm. Please forgive me and come back into my life. And today she is my very best friend. Oh, what a beautiful that story so of redemption. Amazing. <laughs> I know. I'm like tearing up. It's uh-huh. so powerful. And the whole team, they're my uh, biggest friends and my biggest fans, and they, they're they my board members. They are everything. And so one of their rules was celebrate recovery. I bucked. I kicked and screamed. But now, uh, you know, 16 years later, I'm still in recovery, and celebrate recovery has played a huge role in that. Mm-hmm. They said no dating for two years. Of course, I snuck around and dated, but then I realized my picker was broke. Mm-hmm. And I was picking the same kind of person again and again. And so I think because they were praying for me in that time, I came to them one day and said, this is what I've been doing. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. My picker's broke, and from this point on, I'm not going to date. So for two years, I didn't date, and then I met this amazing Christian guy who loves the Lord with all of his heart, who loves dysfunctional children, who loves prison ministry, and he loves Does he have a backstory, too, or he just has a heart for that? Well, he was in the church, and he was a workaholic, and it cost him two marriages. And so I actually met him at Celebrate Recovery because he was dealing with a lot of shame. He felt, how did I do this? So he had a different kind of addiction. Mm-hmm. He had a different kind of addiction, and 
um, shame. And so it was, you know, we, we had served together for a couple of years, but we never even hardly talked. And then one day God brought us together and we got married and it's really been 13 years of a great marriage that's really based around a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, I love to hear that. Mm -hmm. And his name is Steve, Steve. right? Uh Uh-huh. So how did that, when it just was the perfect time that God had prepared your heart, his heart, how did that conversation start? Did you say, let's just start dating? Did he ask you out? Well, it was in the process. I had been getting my children back, and my daughter was did not want to forget me. She was so angry and so hurt that whenever I did get her back, I got all three children back, but my daughter started running away. And she ran away one time to a little town called Claremore, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I'd never been mm-hmm. there. <laughs> but I knew she was there, and I knew she was there with a boyfriend because um, I had a company car. I had gotten a good job and a company car, and I had drove to Claremore looking for her in a trailer park. Well, as I'm leaving the trailer park, I get pulled over. And I get pulled over for being accused of stalking. Um, the boyfriend oh. had called the police and said that I had just gotten out of prison and that I was stalking her. And it was true that I was, I, you could pinpoint me. I was in a company car, the logo's on the door. I had not been out of prison too long, you know, and, uh, but I wasn't stalking. And so I did get a warning and I thought I better not go back to that town because I have to answer to the police for 10 years. How old was your daughter at this point? 16. And I thought, I cannot uh, afford to go back to jail. I'm going to have to stay away. But I knew that Steve, who was at Celebrate Recovery, lived in Claremore. And I knew that he went to First Baptist Church of Claremore. So I said to him one day, how about, I was telling him a little bit about my story, and I said, how about if you or some people in your youth group were to go to the trailer park and maybe knock on some doors and mm-hmm. see how she's doing. And he said, well, how about this? How about I begin to pray for your daughter? And I thought, well, that, that would be great. And so a couple of weeks went by, and he came to me one day, and he said, I think I've met your daughter. He said, I think she works at Walgreens in the cosmetics in Claremore. And he said, there's a girl that looks like you. And she has oh, to know it was her. Mm-hmm. Oh. Wow. He said, so he said, I've been talking to her. And her name is Sarah. And I said, yes, that's her. And he said, I'm going to tell her that I know you because I don't want her to think I'm betraying her. And so he went to Walgreens that night and he saw her and he said, I know your mom. And she said, no, you don't. And she said, yes, your mom's name, Rhonda Poteet. I know her. And she said, you do know my mom. And so she said, are you crazy just like she is? <laughs> and he said, maybe. So they kind of <laughs> built a friendship that he just began to stop by the store and just kind of see her. And he would let me know how she was doing. Well, in the meantime, my sister's terminal and she's dying mm. with cancer. And so I missed uh, Celebrate Recovery for a couple of weeks because I just wouldn't leave her. Mm-hmm. And uh, one night he called me and he said, I've missed you. You haven't been at church. I haven't been able to tell you about your daughter. And I said, well, my sister is dying. And then he was like, I'm so sorry to hear that. And in a few weeks, she did die, and and he had learned that. And we were talking. And then I said to him, 
I've heard you have a lake house, don't you? And he said, yes. And I said, and don't you have some jet skis? And he said, I do. And I said, well, I would love to take me and my children to your house to do some jet ski riding. I'll pay for the gas if you don't mind, but it's been a crazy season and it might be really good to do this. So he says, okay, well then my children don't want to go. Oh. And I thought, I'm going anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and, uh, and we had a fun day jet skiing. And at the end of the day, I said, um, okay, shake hands. It's been a great day. And I said, Whatever you do, don't fall in love with me because I have a boyfriend in prison and he's going up for parole real soon. <laughs> and he said, the last thing I want is a relationship so you don't have to worry about it. I said, good, let's just shake on it and be friends. You continue to tell me about my daughter and if we go do anything, we'll, we'll go Dutch. I'll pay my way, you pay your way and there'll be no obligations or nothing like that. We don't hold hands. We don't sit together at church. You know, I just laid out the rules. And yeah. you did have a boyfriend at the time in the prison? The guy that I left that had taken me to detox? Yes. Now he, he was still around. He's still around, but he's in prison now, and he wants us to get married when he gets out. Okay. So I'm telling my friends, my Stand in the Gap family, my Cindy school about it, and they tell me that they're praying, but they do not tell me that they're not praying that he doesn't make parole. Oh, <laughs> Oh, wow. They just keep saying, we're praying for him. We're praying for him. We're praying that he finds Jesus. But they don't tell me that they're praying that he finds Jesus in prison. Mm -hmm. So when he didn't make parole, they were relieved. Steve was relieved. And really, in my heart, I already knew that God had brought me out of that Mm -hmm. and that it was time to let it go. And so I had to write the letter that said, you know what? I'm so sorry. And I know you think I'm a heel, but here's the deal. You're not going to get out of prison as long as I hold on to you because God has separated us. Let me go for good, and I'm going to move on. And I did. I moved on, and five months later, I'm married. And Five months later. Five months later. Yes. So he was already in love with you, and you kind of were already feeling that too, maybe? Yes, maybe, but I thought that maybe, well, I was kind of scared. I was scared. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm scared of love. And this is somebody completely different than anybody you'd ever dated. Yes. Yes. He didn't cuss. He didn't drink. He didn't smoke. He didn't hit. He's been a Christian most of his life. He's been in youth ministry. But he was everything that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. But I was scared, you know. But we did premarital counseling, and we got prepared to what what's going to be our weakness. And we knew coming into the marriage, the weakness was going to be that I would parent out of guilt. And that I would struggle with boundaries, but to know that he couldn't come between me and my children because I wasn't in a place that I would be able to choose him over my children because I'm still parenting out of that broken heart over losing them and the regret and the guilt. Mm -hmm. So we knew this up front, what to be prepared for and how we would get over those humps. So that was one of the greatest gifts that we did was the premarital counseling that really prepared us for those hops. And, but in time, my children started coming around, his children started coming around and, and we've ended up having a really, really good life. And, um, so now we're on the lake and we have these jet skis and these boats Mm -hmm. and things like that. But we invite a lot of people from the church. We have a lot of church activities at our house and we do these things together and we really we try to pray together every morning before we leave um we really do have a relationship that's built around jesus christ 
And beautiful. It's, um, it is. It's a beautiful ending to and you've developed a couple of other ministries too with him right yes because then into our first year into the marriage we moved to Claremore and he says to me I want to make one of your dreams come true and I said addicts don't dream they survive so I don't really have any dreams I got my children back that's all that mattered and he said well think about that let's pray about it and then what came to me one day was, well, if we could help other children the way my children were helped, because my children's hearts are being healed because their mom came back into their life with the purpose of healing their hearts. Mm-hmm. And if other children in Oklahoma could have that, because you hear a lot that Oklahoma incarcerates more women than anywhere in the entire nation or the, yeah, world. the whole world. It's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. But what you don't hear a lot about is the 28,000 children that are left behind mm-hmm. because of an incarcerated parent who we send to school every day and we tell them to function as normal and their hearts are broken. Right. Mm. So I thought, what if we could heal their hearts by going after their moms, leading their moms to Jesus, leading their moms to recovery, providing housing for them, providing permanent housing for them. And um, so that's where we kind of started. We started with one home. And the goal was we would bring the women there. We will get them in Celebrate Recovery. We'll get them in church. We'll get the community to come around them. We'll use the Stand in the Gap model. We will help them, and we will get these children home. So that's what we started doing. But guess what started happening when we got these children home? We have to have houses to put these women and children in. So I started looking at some of the programs in our state. And in Sand Springs, there's a place called the Widow's Colony, And the women can live there with their children until their youngest child turns 18, but they can't be a man on the premises. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm going to model that. I'm going to, we're going to help them get their children back. They can live in the home until the child turns 18, unless the child wants to go to college. And then I want them to go ahead and stay in the home if they will, because I want the child to get to come home from college. That's another part of the healing, to have a home to go to. Yeah, security. And that Mm -hmm. um, our nonprofit, His House Outreach Ministries, we will be like the faith-based head. We'll rent these homes for them, but we'll subsidize the renting, the rent, because we're a nonprofit. I love it that you called it His House. Mm-hmm. Outreach ministries because there he is. There he is. They That's really beautiful. are. And so we now have gone from one house to thirteen. Wow. And uh, we. So do you just as these women are coming out of prison, you just kind of get to know them and. Because now I'm a night. volunteer in the prison. Okay. Okay. So uh, with Stand in the Gap Ministry, I go into the prison mm-hmm. and teach uh, reentry because I know how to come out of prison and I know how to I know how to stay out of prison. So I go in and teach these skills of reentry. I meet women in prison, and the things I'm looking for is women who are open to serving Jesus Christ, that they're open to change in their behavior, that they want to follow the rules, and if they have children that are uh, in DHS custody or the foster care system or something, I want to help them because I've established favor with DHS. So I want to, because of God, I want to get these children home. And so that's my mission to save children. So we've been able to put 163 children back with their moms. Oh, that's so amazing. 163. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so wow. we try to keep them in the Claremore area because we feel like their uh, foundation mm-hmm. is built. And so we've had about 120 moms come through our program. Wow. So um, we've been able to partner with Rogers State University now, and so they offer education opportunities for any of our women that want it. And 
Northeastern State Botag, um, we, our children are all in our Claremore schools. We have a great relationship with our teachers and our principals and our community. And so it has been really great. And then about uh, six years ago, before things got to the point of really great where they are, we were still struggling. And so we started Shebrews Coffee House. And so Shebrews was an idea to be a frontline ministry to do job training and that we would put the women on the front line and let the community get to know them because I knew if they got to know them that they would love them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they would give them a chance. And so Shebrews has been really great. And now we're branching out to, uh, we got a roaster and we started roasting our own beans. Really? Yes. And so the fun thing about that is we're reaching out to plantations in Costa Rica and Colombia and Puerto Rico and Guatemala. We're reaching out to these plantations that are helping women and helping people in poverty. And so we want to buy their beans and this is so funny. So we buy these beans. They ship from these countries up to New Orleans. They get on a, a truck in New Orleans, and they're hauled to uh, Little Rock. And then we have a person that goes to Little Rock and picks up these beans and brings them to Shivers. <laughs> they're green because they're picked off the plantation. Wow. And then we're roasting them, and we're able to give them money on the plantation and then turn around and employ more women by roasting so these beans wow. and selling it. So, uh, we're My really mind is blown. I know. <laughs> about this it's it's a literally international ministry it is international well we're trying to grow it into that way so that we can create more jobs Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um because what we're doing is good but the need is so great it's not enough Mm -hmm. so my future goal is i'd like to have around probably a hundred homes in claremore and uh, she brews maybe across our state and i'm just employing more women and uh, giving them a career opportunity. Like, we're learning how to do marketing mm-hmm. and learning how to do some things because we don't know it. Me wow. and my girls that work with me, we're totally in a learning place of how do we learn this? How do we do it? Because it benefits the women and the children. Oh, Will you tell so us also great. the story of how you came, came up, up with the name? name. Yeah. It's such a great story. Okay, so I knew that I was wanting to start a business. And it's so funny because when I went to my husband and said, Honey, I'm going to start a business. And he said, No, not a good <laughs> idea. You're not a businesswoman. You think with the heart and not the brain. And every time you think you have a great idea, it costs me a lot of money. So, <laughs> no. And I said, no, 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 no. The Lord, me and the Lord have got this. I'm not even going to ask you for any money. I'm just going to do this. And so I knew what he thought, but I was praying about it anyway. And I was out watering the dog. And it's like the Lord just dropped this in my heart. Out of the blue, she brews. And I'm like, God, is that you? (laughs) Like he brews, but she brews. And I knew then, (laughs) she brews coffee house. Okay, God, let's do this. That's so amazing. Uh, so it started it uh, six years ago. It's probably been the one ministry that has grown my faith more than anything. Because I came into this business not realizing what a business requires. Mm-hmm. Payroll taxes, sales tax. You've got a lot of uh, workers' comp. What a learning curve. Oh, wow. Yeah, general liability. Um, there is a lot of stuff to learn about running a business. and uh, But God has just given favor. 
every step of the way that people have realized I'm not trying to beat anything. It's just that I don't know it. But if you teach me, I'll do it. Um, I see all the time I'm not looking for a fish. I'm looking to be taught to fish. And that's what we, that's our motto of stand in the gap. We don't want to give anybody a fish. We want to teach everybody to fish. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's kind of a motto that I live in my life that I just want to be taught. And then I want to in turn teach. Because mm. the Lord is all of this pain and all of this stuff. It's like he had a plan. Yeah. And you went from somebody that didn't know how to dream that now you have all these dreams. So that's, wow. that's really cool. Yes. And believe that it's possible. Wow. That's the funny thing. I really believe that God will make a way. And he has, in fact, um, this is really funny, but it's true. The governor Stitt came to Shebrews. Really? Yes, in December of 2017 before he went on the campaign trail. And we got to visiting, and I told him that prison saved my life. But that's not the case of all women's stories in Oklahoma because Mm -hmm. we really do. We give such excessive, ridiculous sentences that no other state would Mm -hmm. give. 45 years for failing drug court? Are you kidding me? But that happens. So when it came for the inauguration time, uh, Governor Stitt's office called me and they said, we want to use a little glimpse of what you tell the governor in the inauguration speech. Wow. That's amazing. He did. He listened. He really did. He listened. And he said that... um, our conversation made him want to strive to do something for criminal justice reform that education would be number one and criminal justice reform would be number two. And he had me at the inauguration wow. on the front wow. row. Yes. You were on the front row? Yes. Oh, how neat. Oh, my goodness. It was like one of the best experiences in a lifetime. Oh. Um, it was really fun. Even from the time of exiting the Capitol to go down on the stage, you're escorted by military Oh, my goodness. Yes. It's a very uh, surreal moment. Oh, I, I can't even So did you ever smiling. dream a couple decades ago that this is where you would be? No. <laughs> All I wanted was to get my children back and be a mom. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. no idea where God was going to take that heart. Yeah. So what I've learned along the way is surrender. Just surrender and let go and... One of the things that I've learned is when I come to him in prayer, I like to pray with silence. I like to hush myself in a way that I am able to see how big he is, really how small I am, and how big my my problems seem to be sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they're not really that big because I'm not that big. But my God is bigger than anything. Mm-hmm. And if I will just be still and really mm-hmm. get that mind focus and surrender, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's all going to be okay. Just breathe, surrender, and trust. And he will take care of the rest. <laughs> this is just amazing. I know. Well, thank you so much this for coming and sharing this with us and sharing these ministries with us. Because a lot of these, I, I mean, I knew about Teen Challenge, but some of these I hadn't heard. And I knew that She Brews yeah. had an amazing story, but now I know the story behind. I am excited that now our listeners know these amazing stories. Yeah. And I have to say, I feel like you are a picture of Psalm 40. 
the psalm that says that I was in the pit and the Lord lifted me up out of the pit and set my feet on a rock. I just feel like you're Mm -hmm. such a great example of saying, look what God has done and look at all the things he wants to do. And for you listening today, all of you that are just tuning in, this story is for you. And this hope is for you. And so we just want you to listen today and and lean in and know that God loves you as much as He loves Rhonda. And as much as He has great plans and purposes for Rhonda's life, He does for you as well. And if you are in Owasso or Claremore, go visit Sheepers. Go support that. Hey, let's go this week. Let's go. Oh, well. Well, we can't thank you enough for sharing with us. Thank you. Well, we want to just say thank you so much to Rhonda for that life-changing story. And there's a sense of awe that overcomes me when I hear her story. I don't know if any of you listeners feel that way. Recognizing the hand of God, recognizing His miracles that He has worked in her life, and seeing the hundredfold of fruit she is producing for the kingdom of God now. It truly makes me feel a sense of awesome reverence for how powerful God is. And y'all, the spirit in the room the whole time we were here podcasting was just strong. It was, it was amazing. And and so please go ahead and go by Claire. If you live around the Wasso Claremore area, um, it would be great if you wanted to go by Shebrews and help them out on their business. We're going to put some links in the show notes for Shebrews, His House Outreach Ministries, Celebrate Recovery. So if you're needing any of those resources, we'll have them there. And please spread the word about this story. There may be people in your life that would really benefit from the story of victory over the addiction and the dysfunction of all the problems that came in their home and how she has broken that cycle because of the power of Jesus. And you may have a loved one who really needs the encouragement to know there is hope. And because we have Jesus, we have hope. So we want you to share this and spread the word about this amazing conversation we heard today, the true story of the authority of the word of God active in her life. And please make sure to remember to rate and review this podcast, um, share it with people that you know, and we'll see you next time. Oh, and by the way, the music for our show was written by Sean McCormick and was recorded for us by the talented sons of ourselves, Aiden McCormick and Eric Wall. So thank you to those sweet guys. And we all, we hope you have a wonderful day.